Okay, there we go. And uh, we'll open uh, in another word of prayer here and just ask the Lord to bless this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your many blessings towards us, Father. We thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the time of remembrance this morning, the breaking of bread. We thank you for the time of fellowship. We thank you for seeing and fellowshipping with our, our brother, Mark Thomas, again. Thank you that he's feeling better. Pray that you would continue to bless him and heal him. And for all the others who we prayed for this morning, Father, we just ask that you would be with them as well. Heal them. Father, we thank you that you're the great physician. Pray a blessing on this time now as we open up your word. Pray that you would only give me the words to speak that you would have all of us to hear this morning, Father, and that you alone will be honored and glorified by what is said. And we just pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts this morning. We thank you, Father, for again, all that you've done for us as an assembly and as individual believers. We just praise you and thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, per the usual, we will read through the section and then we will jump into the verse by verse. Okay, I'm actually going to read a little bit extra for context. Some of that is going to be what Casey covered last week, um, but I'm going to start at verse 6 and then read through to verse 24. Um, yeah, so bear with me here. So Romans 2, verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Once again, 
May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. So the themes that we saw at the end of the section that our brother Casey covered last week from 1 to 11, they they touch on the dichotomy there between Jews and Greeks, right? Or or Jews and and Gentiles, I guess, in this case. Um, I'm going to kind of use those synonymously as as I talk about this portion. So those thoughts spill right into this section as well. Jews and Greeks are both being described here. All who have sinned without the law, those being the Gentiles, without the law, the Greeks or the Gentiles, and all who have sinned under the law. So the Greeks did not have the law of God written in their hearts and are therefore perishing without it, but they still sinned, right? They still sinned. There's not a group listed here that's not, that's not sinning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Jews, on the other hand, had the benefit of the law. They were given the law of God, but nevertheless, they could not measure up to it, and they all sinned as well. It's not said of them that they didn't. It says, for all have sinned, we can read elsewhere in God's word. They could not measure up to it, and they still sin. So ultimately, they're in the same boat, these two groups that are being described here, the Greeks that perished without the law and the Jews that fell short of the law. And the path that they might have taken to get there is a little bit different, right? Because one was given the law, and they kind of knew what to do and what not to do. But as we all know, in my opinion, um, the law was not given because it was attainable. That's my opinion. The law was not given by God to us because it was attainable. The law was given to show the holy standard of a righteous God and showcase to us that we could never attain it. So they were allowed to try for a time and fail and fail and fail. And even as we're going to look here further on, you're going to see that there are some who think that they, they've made it, like we've got this, like we did it. But even one little failing in their hearts for a moment, lusting, that's adultery. You've failed the whole law. In one part, now you've failed. The whole thing is, 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 is impacted. So um, it, it could not be measured up to. And in, in, in retrospect, when you look at that, and by comparison now we can look at the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, that law shows us that, okay, yes, this, this is the only way that it could have happened. Um, when when uh, I was reading through the, the different commentaries and McDonald specifically, um, 1 Corinthians 10.32 makes a different distinction. Um, it's the same, but there's a third actual group there in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.32 It says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, right? So the same two, or to the church of God. So you have groups here that are referenced and McDonald kind of brought that back in and said that it applied here and that this message from Paul was not not for the church of God. This was for the folks that were perishing without God, without salvation. So... Those who, those who 
are not under the law and perish without the law, living in sin and dying in their sins, and those who have the law but still sin and never come to accept the free gift of, of, of salvation and ask Jesus Christ into their hearts and perish under that, they are destined for the same eternity in hell. But there's another group there of those who have accepted the free gift of salvation you know, as that's why I kind of read that other part of it, because those who have accepted that Greek or Jew without partiality are ushered into the kingdom of heaven. So either either end of the spectrum is without partiality. Anyone who sins from either of those groups is destined for hell. And anyone who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior from either of those groups is destined for heaven. And it's show, showing that there's no partiality there. But that third group um, you know, the church of God that's referenced in 1 Corinthians, it kind, of, it kind of takes that out of it. You know, it's making this distinction here because a lot of this is said for the Jews of the time, but it's making this distinction here because those of us who have been basically removed from that distinction and are now under a third group, if we've accepted that free gift and we are saved, we... We don't have to worry about dying in our sins, Jew or Greek, because we've been saved from them by the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the reason I mention, you know, the message here for the Jews, like very, very pointed and poignant messages here for the Jews um, in verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God but the doers of the law who will be justified. And there's, there's countless other examples of this in the New Testament where you see the Jews, where you see the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders of the Jewish people saying, well, we are the, the chosen ones, you know, for lack of better phraseology. Like we were given the law of God. We are descendants of, of Abraham, we, you know, all of these things, list them all out because none of them matter. Like you were given those things to showcase the righteous standard, but that doesn't make you righteous. Hearing those things alone doesn't make you righteous. And we'll talk about this a little bit further on. And it already kind of talked about this um, previously in the, in the beginning of this chapter that uh, Casey covered. But do you say all of these things and list those as your credentials and you know, I kind of envision stuff hanging up on, on somebody's wall in an office, like all their degrees and their things. And it's like, well, I'm a descendant of Abraham and I was given the law and I'm, I'm a Jew. Um, but nevertheless, they're not, they're not doing the things that are in the law. They're falling short. So it's not enough that you were, you were told, you know, if I, if I go to one of my children and I say, hey, you know, don't steal candy from the candy jar. Just come and ask mommy and daddy if you can have some and, you know, we'll talk about it. And they go and steal candy from the candy jar. They're, they're breaking that, the, the rule or whatever you want to call it that we set up. But for them to be like, well, I'm okay because I, at least you told me and I knew what to do and what not to do. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still better than somebody who didn't know at all and went and, and did that. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's probably even worse off for you because you did know what to do and what not to do. But the fact that you knew that alone doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you righteous. Um, so this to me was, was kind of like a very targeted, conscious, conscious pricking message um, for the Jews 
of the time. So basically, and I paraphrased it in my notes, but just because you've heard the law, that doesn't mean you are deemed righteous. Just because you are a Jew, that doesn't mean you are deemed righteous. And I'm specifically saying righteous here. It's a different group and it's called out and separated as we're talking about Jews and Greeks, but it doesn't mean that they are deemed righteous by God's definition of what is right and good. Even because you kept some of the law, that doesn't mean you are deemed righteous. If you sin in even one minute part of the law, you failed to uphold it. Because again, there's other examples in God's word where they say, oh, well, I, I, I keep the Sabbath. I, I do this. I do, I've never committed adultery. I've never done this. But it's like, well, have you, have you eaten a food sacrifice to idols? When you went and you conquered a pagan temple and you took some of it and you ate it, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's going to go to waste. Like, I, you know, I took some of the money. And other, we used it for, for good. It's like, well, you know, depending on the things written into the law, if you sin in even one part, then you've, you've failed to uphold the law in, in its whole. Um, and again, while doing this stuff, they would tell others that they are doing it, looking at, the, you know, looking at the speck in their brother's eye when there's a plank in their own in that sense. And you know, as, as is the case with a lot of, of the different passages that we've been studying recently, there's, there's kind of historical um, implication and, and, and takeaways and the things that I guess I'm talking about right now, specifically for the Jews and things like that. Excuse me. But there's also takeaways for us. So it's not really in our case concerning the law of God as, as it was conveyed to the Jews. Um, and as we already discussed and as we know, we can't keep by ourselves. I, I can't even go... 10 minutes without failing the law of God. I mean, basically my existence is counter because I'm, I was born in sin. I'm a sinful human being. But the perfect law of God, there, there's, there's a distinction made in the New Testament in, in that it refers to the law of liberty many times in the New Testament. That's not the, the, the old law that was given to the Jews. That is... That is in my opinion, the new law that was, that was penned, so to speak, when the Lord Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. That is, in a sense, you know, this is how you are made righteous. You obviously can't be made righteous by standing up to this standard or, or, or living up to this standard of righteousness over here. So you are made righteous in this new way, in this new law. Um, but that perfect law, the law of liberty, as we have it available to us, we have to be doers, right? Verse 13 says, you're not made righteous if you're just a hearer of the law. So again, um, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And again, talking of the Jews, in my opinion, specifically, they can't do the law and keep all of it. They might do some of it and take pride in that. But the parallel to us in doing and not just hearing, in James 1.23, we can read, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, not the law anymore, right? Because this is the parallel for us, but the word, the law of liberty, God's word, and not a doer. So if he is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks in intently intently, specifically, intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets 
what he was like. And there's, there's, the verses continue on there and kind of talk about the juxtaposition of the person who is actually a doer. But I don't need to go you know, too far into that. But this especially resonates with me because I, I learn by doing. I don't know if the rest of you are that way. I think a lot of people are. Um, I mean, I think there's probably a, you know, a, a special few who learn they can just hear something and they've got it locked in or they've got you know, maybe a photographic memory. Um, I think, I think it, it's pretty safe to say, though, that the majority of people would learn by doing. You know, if you're just given a sheet of instructions, you can read it and know the order. But when you actually start doing it and making it a practice and you learn the process, I mean, my mind goes to work where I had to learn lots of processes and do process improvement. But as you do it, you also kind of learn, it becomes ingrained in, in the way that you, you operate, right? In the way that you do things. But also you learn additional things by doing, and you gain additional growth and understanding by doing and not just reading about it. So I can't simply read something once and know how to do it, but I have to do it myself usually several times to kind of reinforce and cement that behavior. Um, so, you know, we're not just referencing other verses that we know in Scripture. We're not just re- telling those around us to be warmed and filled, but we're giving them the clothes or the food. Right, so, so to speak, we're instead doing that latter piece. We're actually going out and doing the things that we're reading in God's word. So again, though I feel that this verse was specifically targeted to the Jews who would say, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm a Jew. I was given the law. I know these things. I'm a descendant of Abraham. Look at all my creds here. Um, and they would say like, well, you need to do the things that are in the law. What we're seeing is that you're saying these things, but you're doing these other things, right? Like do as I say, not as I do. And they would do these things, whether in secret or otherwise. I mean, that's the last part of this section that we'll touch on when I get there. Um, They might think nobody knows, but obviously in the last section or the last verse of the section that I'm covering, we're going to see that that's not the case. People do see it, they do recognize it, and they do know it. And unfortunately, the name of God is tarnished or blasphemed because of that. Um, We need to make sure that we don't allow that to happen. You know, if we're going to be going out and saying that this is the way that we live, if we're representatives of God, we need to do the things and practice what we preach and practice what we've we've read in God's word and not just say, you know, oh, we're Christians. You know, those are my credentials. I'm I'm a Christian. I go to church. I hear the the I hear the messages that are spoken on Sunday, but I don't dig into the word myself and then go out and do what I read. I mean, you know, so that's, that's where we, we can sometimes fall short and we need to make sure that we don't. 14 and 15 are, are an interesting pair of verses. Um, so I'll read them again. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they, they do not have the law, For they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So the law, again, as we know from lots of verses in the New Testament, the law is there to showcase as conveyed by God what is right and what is wrong, what you should do and what you should not do. And so when when they do the Gentiles specifically here in this section, when they do 
you know, having not been given the law as the Jews were, what is written in the law, because they innately know that it's good or right or what they should do, they are a law to themselves. They understand that it's good, and now they know the, the, the standard. They understand that standard within themselves. They might go and do the opposite, but they've kind of become a law to themselves. They weren't given that law by God. But to me, it reminded me of the verses that I, I think we covered in, in chapter one that talk about um, more so on the salvation side of things, I guess, where the, the glory of God and the mysteries of God are plainly evident to everyone in his creation. Like at, no one can look at the world and the complexities and, and things and not see God unless they've decided to will, willfully stay ignorant of those things because they don't want anything to do with God. If they were really honest with themselves, they would see God in that. And here in this case, I think we're seeing that there are times where their conscience is bearing witness and the law of, of the Lord is, is, is still written in their hearts. They innately know what is right and, and good and what is not. But again, if you're coming from a place where you've already made the decision in your heart and in your mind that you want nothing to do with God, then you'll put that, you'll put that away, right? Because you'll say, well, yeah, I know that that's not the right thing to do, but it's fun and I want to do it. And, you know, there is no God, so I'm just going to do that stuff. Because for them, they have to make sure that they, they keep him out of it. Because as soon as he enters into it, there's a pricking of the conscience that what I'm doing is wrong and sinful and I need to change and, and I need to do the right thing and they don't want that, right? So, but the Gentiles weren't given the law, so they become a law unto themselves when they start to do things just naturally that are written in the law. So it bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And it flows right into verse 16. On the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. Um, so that is, the, that is the end of the section that I was talking about. At least there's an indentation in my Bible that talks about, or that has a little section between 16 and 17. So the secrets of men. So the Jews might have done some of these things publicly, um, or at least thought that they were secret. And that's the verse at the end of the entire section that I'm doing that talks about their works kind of being known to the Gentiles. The Gentiles could see that they were saying, oh, don't do these things, and then they were going and doing them. Um, and that was tarnishing their testimony. But over here, it's talking about the secret things. Um, and it's a sobering reminder to us that even the things that we might have pushed down into the depths of our minds and the secret parts of, of, of our minds, those things are, are going to be revealed when, when the Lord comes um, to judge. You know, the things that are not secret by definition are already known to everyone, but the things even that are secret will be known. And God, who sees everything, already knows them. The minute we did them, before we did them, when we purposed in our hearts that we were going to do them, he, he knew that. Because I think I touched on this last time, but I kind of look at it as just a white expanse, and there we are. You know, you could say to the mountains, fall on us and cover us and hide us, and by extension, paraphrasing, hide our sins so we can hide them. But he, none of that matters because he can 
divide between the, 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 the soul and the spirit and the flesh and peel all that away and be like, I can see you wherever you are and whatever you're doing and whatever you're thinking. So nothing is really secret and everything will be revealed and judged accordingly in that, in that last day. And it's, again, it's sobering because at, Satan is constantly working on us, right? He's constantly working on us to, to pull us away to get us to do things that are not furthering the kingdom of God, to get us to do things that would not bring joy um, to the Lord Jesus. Um, and conversely, every little thing that we can use to not allow ourselves to be pulled away, to not fall into temptation, including the fact that, hey, remember, God can see you right now. He, he can see you. Like, this is not a great... Um, I'm even kind of like, should I say it? But I think all of us, have, most of us have seen the Lord of the Rings. And of course, this is like the evil guy in the Lord of the Rings. But Sauron, you know, it's like as soon as you put that ring on, it's just a big eye. And it's like, I can't really go anywhere because it's just a big eye. But you can't go anywhere. Forget the ring, forget the Lord of the Rings and the evil and all that stuff. But you can't go anywhere and be like, well, over here, God can't see me. So I'm, I'm good. So even, even that little reminder when we're, we're thinking about, you know, you know what, I, I could just do it this once or I could just fall into this temptation or, you know, I, I'm, I've been saved, so it doesn't really matter. You know, he'll forgive me. Like, you know, Paul talks about that as well. Like, should we just continue on in sin because, you know, grace will abound even more and it's, there's limitless stores of it? Well, no, that's not how we're supposed to live. But just that little reminder that, God is watching. He can see us at all times, every time, no matter what we're doing, our thoughts. And even if that little thing is enough to say like, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't do that. Like, I'm sorry, God, you, you may as well be right here, right? Because he can, he can see everything that we're doing. And, and may that keep us from, from going down those paths and doing those things that instead of bringing him joy, will will do the opposite and cause, cause grief. Um, so at least to me anyway, that was kind of, uh, we, we talked about the verses that would potentially prick the conscience of the Jews of the time, you know, that may have seen or, or heard or read that. Um, but this is kind of a reminder for us specifically as we think about our walk day to day with the Lord Jesus and the things that we have a tendency to get tempted to fall into and stray off the path. You know, we talked about, I think, Pilgrim's Progress you know, and thinking about walking that and not falling off the path. And as we get that temptation to be like, well, look how nice this is over here. The path is narrow and, and maybe there's a climb and it's rocky, but this is a nice field and there's shade and you can relax. Um, but again, those things, even if there's that little reminder, if you continue in that paraphrase or parallel that God can see you walking that path and he's pleased with that. And if you were to go and deviate and enjoy these pleasures, that's not going to bring him joy. And let's, let's keep that in our minds. Um, now, verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, rely on the law, specifically rely, and boast in God, and then it goes on. But I wanted to just stop there I initially took 17 to 24, and I was like, I'll just talk about this whole chunk. Um, but there's a couple of different points in that section, and I do 
wrap all those verses up because to me they kind of speak to um, one theme that I'll get to in a second here. But verse 17, um, they relied on they relied on the law. That is what they would go back to, both in, in terms of we're special and different, but also in terms of, of th- that, the pride element. They took pride in the fact that they were given the law. Forget that they didn't uphold it and keep it. They just took pride in the fact that they were given it. So, you know, we're, we're the Jews. And then even within the Jews, we're the religious leaders of the Jews. We know the scriptures better than anyone else. Do we keep all of them? No, but we know them better than anyone else. Would we tell anybody that? No, but that no one needs to know. Those are the secret things that will be revealed. But they boast in God. The gift of the law to the Jews became a note of pride among them and something to be leveraged over others. Micah 3.11 talks about the nation of Israel and the Jews and and those uh, in Jerusalem. And it says that its heads gave judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So those verses, it it, it wasn't, there was no no meat there. It, it It was just credentials. It was just, well, if you want the help, of a Jewish leader, you need to donate to, to the, the, you know, the Jewish rule of the time, or you need to give me money, or I'm going to leverage for my own personal gain, because to me, these are really credentials, which, which is disgusting. You know, when, when somebody comes to speak at, at our assembly, we typically do what's called an honorarium, right? We will give them money. Now, I haven't seen it that somebody comes and says, well, yeah, I'll come and, I'll come and speak at your church, but it's going to be at least like two grand. Or like, I'll come and speak to you at your church, but it's going to be like five, $600. You know, you can make it payable to, to Mark Bull or whatever. You know, like you just go and speak because you want to share the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord with brothers and sisters. The church might decide to give you an honorarium for the gas and the plane tickets and whatever else and, and your time and the preparation time for the message, but that's, that's to minister back at, to another believer and, and member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not, not because it's a service that, that you know, we should be paid for, in, in, you know, in my opinion. Um, that's that's kind of like, this is specifically talking about the Jews. Um, the honorarium thing just kind of popped into my head, but it's not... You know, if you were to go around and say, you know, I will, I'll give a judgment, but if I'm bribed, obviously that's going to kind of sway things in this one element over here, and you know, I can I can do something more for you, um, or I'm I'm going to teach, but it's going to cost you, or you know, I'm going to practice some divination, but again, I need some 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 compensation over here on this other side, and but at the same time as they're doing all of this stuff. They would say, but the Lord is in the midst of us. Like, look at us. We're the Jews. I mean, we, we have the Lord. We've, we've got that track record of how he's helped us through all these circumstances. And, you know, that became a note of pride. So it was emptied, excuse me again, it was emptied of all 
of its meaning, in my opinion, and just became a set of, of credentials to be lorded over. Um, and, and I, you know, I would see similar things in, in the Catholic Church with the upper echelons of the clergy and how special that must make somebody feel to be garbed the way that they do and surrounded with the finery that they are and to say, well, we're the only real ones who can interpret the scriptures. Like, yeah, you could, it's still good to like look at it and read it, but you, you know, you, you can't really understand it the way that we do. Um, and, you know, if you're built up in, in that and all the, 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 the priests and the, um, you know, the papal groups and all that stuff and the, uh, it, you know, kind of together in that, um, I don't know, leadership element kind of viewed as, as up and, and away from like the rest of the, the common rabble. If there was a threat to that and a threat to the continuation of that lifestyle, you better believe that they would go ballistic and they would want to make sure that they could at least, no matter what, maintain that. You know, when the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, you know, the, in my opinion, they, they, they had that. They put themselves up on that pedestal and they would say like, well, we're the ones to whom the law was given. You dogs over here on the outside, you don't know what you're talking about. You weren't given the law, so you have no part in this. You know, nevertheless, they're not admitting because I think in the same way that I said about people who just completely decide to just put God out of their minds because they don't want to admit that they're living in sin and deal with him. I have to imagine that these Pharisees with that same amount of willpower would say, you know, I'm still righteous. Forget the fact that I just committed adultery. Forget the fact that I just robbed the temple. Forget the fact that I just insert, you know, breaking the law slash sin over here, whatever you want it to be. They would say, I'm I'm still righteous though because of, of who I am and maybe where I was descended from and, and, and the fact that I'm a Jew. Um, so they relied on the law. And that's why I, I kind of made a big deal about that um, in verse 17 there. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and then it continues on, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, so again, that's largely the reason that they're able to do that. If they weren't given the law, then they wouldn't be able to lord that over the Gentiles in saying like, well, we know what is good. We can approve these good things. But yeah, the only reason you can do that is because you were basically spoon-fed those things from God. He gave you what is excellent to approve and you're just kind of regurgitating that and being like, yes, we approve that. Whether they do it or not is a different story. But if you, are a, if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and they might be reading this and be like, yep, yep, check that one off. I definitely uh, would say that I, you know, I lead those who, who know less than I do, which is you know, most people because I know a lot. And uh, you know, I'm a light to those in darkness. And I instruct the foolish, you know, like the, the, the Jews who don't know as much, or maybe the Gentiles over here, um, a teacher of children having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. But then, you know, then the slap in the face, in my opinion, comes in. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? So that's, you know, that's where it turns. And it's like, well, look at yourselves for a second. Stop looking at everybody else 
and saying, well, you know, at least I'm not like them. You know, at least I'm not a Gentile out here in, in, in the darkness, or at least, you know, I'm not doing these things when you're over here doing these other things. Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? And, and again, they might say like, no, no, of course I don't. Like, but they might be thinking like, yeah, I've never robbed the bank, but like, well, have, have you stolen? Have you stolen anything? Have you stolen not just maybe even physical things, but have you stolen time from the Lord? You know, do, do you, have, you, have you stolen? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Do you understand the righteousness of God's law to the extent where if you lust in your heart, you committed adultery? Because again, they'd say like, no, I've never done that. Of course not, I've never done that. Have you lusted after a woman? Oh, I mean, uh, they might say no again and lie to themselves because all of this, all of this takes the humility to honestly tear yourself open and, and admit that, yep, I did that. Like, yes, I did that. Like, really admit that you do these things. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So it's kind of like, at that point, now it's taking the questions, which I kind of deem to be rhetorical anyway, because it's understood that they're doing these things, whether they admit it to themselves or not. The parallel to us, if you kind of, again, take the law out of it and look at the things in Scripture, are we talking to others about the things that they should be doing based on what God's Word instructs us to do and yet doing the opposite? And let's really examine ourselves in the same serious way that I was just talking about a minute ago to practically say, like, yes, I am doing those things and I need to start praying to the Lord to help me stop before I go and tell other people that that's what they should be doing. Because I can't sit up here and tell you guys that I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. You may as well just assume that I'm doing it all. You know, you'd probably be closer to the truth in that regard than further from it, right? So... You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And I I grouped all those verses, 18 to 24, together because to me they all cry out with one important exhortation for us, which is to keep our testimony before the world and before the Lord clean and untarnished because the world is watching. You know, we live in the world. We're immersed in it. We're exposed to it all the time, and they are watching. And the Jews of the time, having received the law from God and daily, I would imagine, proclaiming their heritage and an existing under the banner of God and then doing all of these things, it was visible to the people of the time. And they said, well, how much stock are you going to put in that? Because they say, do this, this, and this, and don't do these other things. And then they go and do all the stuff that they said not, not to do. So why, why would I believe in that? There's obviously no power there. It's obviously not life-changing. Well, again, because for them, it was emptied of all that power. It was just credentials to be leveraged for personal gain at the time. And of course, you know, you could probably find exception to that statement, but... I think that's the reason that these verses are here, specifically for the Jews and the Jewish leaders of the time. But again, the parallel is there for us. We have to keep our testimony untarnished 
before the Lord because the world is looking at us. The world sees us. And if we go and we say, you know, we're, we're Christians, we've aligned ourselves with the Lord, and then we go do X, Y, Z, and it's publicly visible, and it's a sin, you know, and we don't, we're just like, yeah, it's no big deal. And they're going to be like, well, wait a minute, what about all this other stuff that you said? Like, like does that, is it empty? Does it not mean anything? Because I'm looking for something with meaning. I think there's a lot of people, the people that are truly searching are looking for the real thing. And we know what the real thing is. But Satan would have our testimony be tarnished because it's, it's, it's extremely detrimental to the furthering of the gospel and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have an extreme responsibility. The moment we take on the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and align ourselves with him and we have that stamp on our foreheads, we have to act in such a way that those who see us are going to see Christ. And there was a, there was a really cool way. Um, it wasn't McDonald who wrote it, but he quoted it from somebody else. And I, it, it was kind of like a little mini poem, but it was, it was, it was basically the same exhortation. Like if, if the people around us, if we're all that they see, let them see Christ and, and not, and not us, you know? So just, just reflect the light of Christ to them by doing the things that we would then turn around and tell them to do and not doing the things that we would tell them not to do, um, you know, as we are, as we are existing and operating under the banner of Christianity and, and being Christians and aligning ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, having changed hearts and minds, um, being saved by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word of God became a mockery among the Gentiles because those who outwardly represented him were fake and the people could see it. They could see that they could see through it. Maybe they didn't see every element of it, but again, if you go back up to the end of that first section in my Bible or the chunk there in verse 16, they might not call them out for the secret things that they didn't see, but God will. Those things, they will be judged for, the things that were kept in secret. But there's a bunch of things that were not that didn't go unnoticed. They were seen by the people of the time and... Um, that tarnished the testimony and, and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was blasphemed, actually, it says there. It was blasphemed um, among the Gentiles. The name of God was blasphemed among the Gentiles. So that's the exhortation from this section, right? To, to it sounds kind of cliche or whatever, but, you know, practice what you preach in a sense, but also do what you read in the Lord's, in the Lord's word, in God's word. Don't just hear it and say, well, you know, I went to church on Sunday and checked that box off and, you know, I'm a Christian. I feel pretty good about myself. I got some instruction. I'm good. And then go do whatever during the week, maybe even counter to what you heard there, what you read in God's word. But we have to be, just as he was kind of saying like, well, Jews, you can't just say that you're righteous because you heard the law. You didn't keep it. You got to do it as well. You know, we can't just kind of proclaim piety and righteousness because we've, 
we're Christians and when we've read the scriptures, we have to do it as well. We have the additional element that we know that the, the true reason that we're saved is because the work of the Lord was done on our behalf by Jesus, but, you know, his precious blood was shed for us, but we still have to live that way. We have to do the things that we read in the scriptures. Um, and we have the option not to, right? Like we have the option to let Satan take us off of that narrow path and waste our time so that we're not furthering the kingdom of God and we're potentially tarnishing our testimony and blaspheming the name of God at the same time. So let, let us examine ourselves so that that's not the case for each of us every single day, um, you know, every single hour, every single minute as we walk with the Lord. Let's just give him thanks this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your blessings to us, Father. We thank you for the, the word. We thank you that we can read it freely, um, Father, and we just thank you that we can take from it these exhortations for our lives and just pray that you would help us to, um, to continue walking with you, Father, and staying on that straight and narrow and making sure that we do what we read in your scriptures and not just hear it. And Father, also that we live in such a way that in doing those things, that they are seen by others and that they can see the true power of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in our lives and not just see another worldly person operating under the banner of Christianity, that we might not blaspheme your name or cause it to be blasphemed among those who haven't come yet to know you as your personal Savior, Father. We just thank you so much for this time. Pray that you would again bless the reading of your word to our hearts. And we thank you, Father, for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, from which we've obtained the opportunity for salvation and the hope of heaven. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.